I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. In today's episode, I am going to be talking all about cooking oils. Which ones are the healthiest? What are the benefits of these oils? What are some of the risks or dangers for our health with some of them? And then which brands, I'm going to name specific brands that you should be purchasing based on Consumer Labs reporting test results. Consumer Labs basically test different products for their quality, purity, and making sure that the companies are being honest about what's inside. They test things like canned tunas and salmons, protein powders, supplements, you name it. They are a great resource. Now, fat is incredibly important. All fats, including saturated fats, have important roles in our body. However, the most important fats are those that the body can't make on their own. So they have to come from the food that we eat. And these are what are called the essential fatty acids. And they are the linoleic acids, the omega-6s, and the alpha linoleic acids, which are the omega-3 fatty acids. Now, without these fats, there are functions in the body that would not be possible. And therefore, we cannot ignore their importance. And this is a great reason why you should never go on a very low-fat diet. They are involved in many physiological processes, such as blood clotting, wound healing, hormone balance. This is a big one that people don't exactly know enough about. Eating good quality fats is essential for hormone balance. Brain health and inflammation, our brain is actually made of fat, And inflammation, I mean, every chronic disease is linked to inflammation. So these fats are going to help promote decreased inflammation if we're consuming the right kinds. Fats also help you absorb certain vitamins. So we have what is known as the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, E, and K. And that's why you should never, or not never, but you should have some sort of fat with a salad. I'll often meet with a client and they'll say, well, I'm trying to save calories, so I'm going to eat lettuce with some chicken on it. And although not only does that sound incredibly unappetizing, but when we pair some sort of fat with our vegetables, then it's actually going to enhance the absorption of the different nutrients in that meal. The brain is very rich in fat, and as you guys know, I am a big proponent for mental health, and 60% of our brain is made of fat, and it has a unique fatty acid composition. Now, I'm going to try to pronounce this. DHA, it's do 
mucosahenoic acid. And this is the major brain fatty acid. And the lipids of the retina also contain very high concentrations of this DHA. But our brain is made of these kinds of fats. And research has shown that having low levels of DHA in our body means that our mental health is actually at higher risk for mood disorders. Now, from a weight loss perspective or weight management perspective, fats have the highest calorie per gram. So if somebody's looking to lose weight, it's important to note that one tablespoon, about the tip of your thumb, the size of your thumb, has the same calories as one cup of rice, which is about the size of your fist. So go ahead and put your thumb next to your fist, and you can see that from a volume perspective, fats are very dense and higher in calories compared to carbohydrates. Now, this is why people tend to go for fats when they reduce their calories, but we need to keep in mind that quality is what we're going to be talking about today. The quality of the fat is the most important. And although yes, it's high in calories, it serves vital functions in the body and can really be protective of not only our mental health, but our gut health as well. So I mentioned the omega-6s and the omega-3s. Omega-6s have a pretty bad reputation. People will say, well, omega-6 fats are bad and omega-3s are good, but actually both are incredibly beneficial for our health, and it's really about finding balance. Throughout evolution, humans got omega-3s and omega-6s in certain ratios, which they believe was about a one-to-one ratio. I like to picture a balance beam, And I like to see the omega-3s on one side and the omega-6s on the other side, and you kind of see them in maybe this straight line. So a one-to-one ratio, they're nice and balanced. And in the past century or so, the Western diet has shifted dramatically to the point where we're seeing the standard American diet being more of a 20-to-1 ratio, meaning the omega-6 is much higher. So if you're still looking at that balance beam and you're a visual person like me, that balance beam is tipping very hard to the side of omega-6s and it's favoring those fatty acids. And scientists have hypothesized that eating too much of these omega-6 fats can lead to increased inflammation in the body and contribute to disease. And from a gut health perspective, we know that inflammation is not beneficial, that it can contribute to leaky gut and exacerbate autoimmune conditions. And from a standpoint of mental health, we know that inflammation in the body can, again, lead to increased risk for mood disorders. So omega-6s, just like omega-3s, are classified under polyunsaturated fatty acids. The main food sources of these omega-6 fats includes most vegetable oils, for example, corn, soybean, cottonseed, also nuts and animal products. The main difference between omega-6 and omega-3s is really just the double bond in six carbons from the omega end of the fatty acid molecule. So it's really just the difference in their structure. 
As I mentioned, omega-6s are essential. These types of fats are primarily used for energy, and the most common is linoleic acid, which can be converted into longer omega-6, such as arachidonic acid. Arachidonic acid is used to produce what are called eicosanoids. The eicosanoids produced by arachidonic acid are more pro-inflammatory. So yes, they're pro-inflammatory, but these pro-inflammatory eicosanoids are important chemical structures in our immune system. However, when we have too many of them being produced in the body, they can increase inflammation and inflammatory disease. So although omega-6s are essential, the Western modern Western diet contains way too many omega-6s than necessary for optimal health. And then we have the omega-3 fatty acids. As I mentioned, they are also a polyunsaturated fat. Again, your body cannot make this type of fat on its own. And they play a very important role in cognition, behavioral function, mood, circulation, and skin and heart health. Now, it gets even more complicated when we talk about the different types of omega-3s, the different forms of it. We have ALA, EPA, and DHA. Now, ALA is found in vegetable sources, things like walnuts, flax seeds, chia seeds, and people will say, oh, I'm getting my omega-3s because I'm eating flaxseed and chia seeds and walnuts. And when you buy these products, they're typically going to tell you on the front that they contain omega-3s. The problem is that they're going to tell you that they contain omega-3s, but it's in the ALA form. And this ALA form is really important for our health. We know it's a great source of fat, so keep consuming your flaxseed, your chia seed, your walnuts, but it's the EPA and the DHA that we don't get from those foods. So what are some sources of those foods that you need to be including more in your diet? Well, my clients tend to cringe when I read them this list, but we find them in marine sources such as sardines, herring, albacore tuna, lake trout, wild-caught salmon, mackerel, sardines, and algae. If you follow me on Instagram at Nutrition Rewired, you'll know that I consume a lot of sardines. And the reason for this is because not only are they a sustainable option when choosing seafood, but they are also a great source of calcium. And because I'm lactose intolerant, I don't get a lot of natural dietary calcium. So I get the ones with the bones in them, which sounds disgusting, but I promise you, you don't even notice if you mash them up. I have a recipe for sardine cakes on my Instagram highlights. And the biggest selling point for me is that they are cheap. So check it out if you are open to trying sardines. That's a great way to dip your feet into it. They taste just like a crab cake. But these marine sources, these cold water fatty fish, are the way that we can obtain EPA and DHA from the diet. Now you can always go towards a supplement. This is a great way to get them in if you don't like to consume fish. However, some of the research has shown that especially as it relates to heart health, you don't see the same benefits as you do from consuming these high fat fish with the recommended serving being two to three servings per week. 
quality of the supplement really matters. If you're looking for a low cost one, I'd go for the GNC brand, otherwise Nordic Naturals. So let's dive into the research just briefly. We have been taught that eating foods high in saturated fat, things like eggs and cheese and butter and animal fats has been shown to raise cholesterol and therefore has given them a really bad reputation. Although initial epidemiological studies associated saturated fat intake with heart disease, subsequent studies have thus far failed to confirm the link. Saturated fat does raise HDL cholesterol, which is our good cholesterol, which perhaps might be ameliorating the effects on the LDL, the bad cholesterol, which it's been shown to increase. Now, the big point here is that because of this belief that saturated fats increase the risk of heart disease, the food industry replaced these fats with vegetable oils. And now what we're left with is too much of these omega-6 fats in the standard American diet. And as a consequence of this big dietary change that we've seen, the current omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is at an all-time high, and it's now looking more like a 10 to 1 or a 20 to 1 ratio. So this excess of omega-6 fats and this deficiency of omega-3s is really thought to be associated with the prevalence of chronic and inflammatory diseases. The saying, you are what you eat, is pretty powerful, especially when we talk about fats, because the fat that you're eating, it's not just stored as fat tissue or burned for energy, it's also incorporated into cell membranes. So it's almost to say you are made of the fat that you eat. A well-controlled study published in the Journal of Lipid Research in 1966 demonstrates how the fat is incorporated into our cell membranes. They had two different diets that were prescribed to men, and they basically gave them 40% of their total calories coming from fat. One of the groups was given a diet mostly containing saturated fat from animals, and the other group was given mostly fat from vegetable oils. After five years, subjects with the diet high in the PUFAs, the polyunsaturated fats, had three times as much omega-6 fats stored in their adipose tissue. Adipose tissue is fat tissue. 32% of their fat tissue was omega-6 versus it was 11% at baseline. So a pretty big increase. And they also weighed an average of eight pounds more compared with a saturated fatty acid group. Since then, many studies have shown that obesity is associated with an inflammatory state, which is a result from the increased production of pro-inflammatory eicosanoids, which I referenced earlier, that come from this unbalance of the omega-6 to the omega-3 ratio. And it's said that if you have a lot of these polyunsaturated fatty acids in your body, your cell membranes are more sensitive to oxidation, which is a negative thing. The prevalence of inflammatory bowel disease has also been shown to increase with omega-6 intake, while omega-3s have been shown to offer promising benefits and actually protect against certain inflammatory bowel diseases as well as irritable bowel syndrome. A low omega-6 fat and anti-inflammatory diet has also been shown to reduce symptoms in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. 
Excessive omega-6 and inadequate omega-3 intake has been proposed to contribute to beta amyloid deposition, which is an important factor in the pathogenesis of Alzheimer's disease. And lastly, inflammation associated with excessive dietary omega-6 intake has been linked with the progression of various cancers. So overall, we have pretty extensive research to support the fact that a diet high in omega-6s and low in omega-3s is not good for any area of our health. Now I'm going to talk about what happens when fat is heated to a temperature that is too high. What happens is called lipid peroxidation, and this is the oxidative degradation of lipids. And it's the process where free radicals steal electrons from the lipids in cell membranes, and this leaves the cell damaged. Now, this sounds awful, right? And it can lead to insulin resistance, premature aging, poor brain health, and cardiovascular disease. And the overall implications can be carcinogenic, meaning cancer-causing, due to this damage that we're seeing in the DNA. And there are several studies to back this up. Researchers also have clinical data supporting the involvement of lipid peroxidation aldehydes in schizophrenia, bipolar, and other major depressive disorders, cancers, development of intestinal damage, which can wreak havoc on your digestive system and other systems of the body. What's even more concerning is when these oils are repeatedly heated through a cooking process. And so this is, for example, when you go into a restaurant and you're ordering some sort of fried food, every time you walk in and order that fried food, they're not changing out the oil in that fryer. So that oil is being repeatedly heated over and over again. And when that happens, this changes the composition of the oil and makes them potentially carcinogenic to human health. And I think that inherently we all know that fried foods are not good for us, but now we can understand the mechanism as to why. And my recommendation to all of my clients is not to never consume fried foods again, but to consume them in moderation. And more importantly, even is to make sure that you're including these omega-3 fats in the diet. Remember, it's all about that balance. So which types of oils are the best? Which should you cook with? Which should you be drizzling on a salad? The first thing to keep in mind is the smoke point of a fat or an oil. The smoke point is the temperature at which the fat or the oil begins to smoke. Smoking is evidence that the fat is being broken down due to heat, and not only does it not usually taste as good if it's been heated too high or smell very good, but it can also destroy the benefits that we can get of these fats. So avocado oil, for instance, has a very high smoke point of 570 degrees Fahrenheit, whereas olive oil and vegetable oils have a much lower smoke point. So that's why avocado oil has kind of blown up in the past year because it's a great alternative to other types of oils that we typically use for high heat. Now, a big concern with oils in general is that most of the oils used in the modern American diet are not great for our health. They are processed, they are cleaned with chemicals, and most of them come from genetically modified corn, canola, or soy. Prior to recording this episode, I watched YouTube videos, I did tons of research to learn about the process of oils and how they are extracted, bleached, degummed, 
And if you're interested, I would say give it a YouTube search because I'm not going to bore you with it today. Now, it's not as simple as just saying which oils are good versus bad. I wish it was. But the problem is that with the food industry, a lot of the times we can't quite know what we're getting in a product. And that's why we need to choose very carefully and do a little bit of research, which is what you're doing by listening to this podcast. So extra virgin olive oil is one that is very commonly used and should not be heated pretty much at all to maintain the benefits. So I will typically use this if I have sauteed a vegetable, I will add it after or use it in a salad dressing. It's high in monounsaturated fats and it's low in saturated fat, making it a great choice for someone who is looking to improve their heart health, diabetes, and other metabolic conditions. Now, virgin oil is oil which has been removed from the olives by pressing or heating. So there's no adulterations in the oil the way that I mentioned earlier with most of those refined oils. It's also got a great flavor, and I personally just love putting this on like tomatoes or fresh fresh vegetables with a little bit of sea salt. So Consumer Labs has passed several different extra virgin olive oils for their quality and purity. The first one is Trader Joe's Premium Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Um, Spectrum Organic Olive Oil, Lucini Premium Select Extra Virgin Olive Oil, and then the cheapest option is the Kirkland Signature Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. This is the lowest cost. You get the biggest bang for your buck because it's very high in polyphenols and it's also high in oleic acid and low in peroxide. Without knowing too much about those things, just know that it's really good for you. The potential downside to this Kirkland Signature brand is that it's in a large plastic bottle. And first of all, being large means that when you have the oil in a large container, it's more likely to go bad quicker. You want to get a smaller bottle and use it up more quickly. And then also the plastic is going to allow more oxygen. It means it has more opportunity for the oxidation. And then the 365 Extra Virgin Olive Oil Mediterranean Blend at Whole Foods, that is also a good low-cost option that they have approved. The one that I use is the California Olive Ranch Extra Virgin. This was the least oxidized oil reviewed, meaning it has the lowest peroxide value, and I like that it's in a small dark glass bottle. Some other tips for how to choose oil, as I just mentioned, the container that it's in. You want to choose an oil that is packaged in dark glass, preferably, and you want to use it up as quickly as you can because the longer that it sits in that shelf, then it's going to lose not only its health benefits, but it can start to become rancid, just like any type of fat. You also want to choose an oil that's within 15 months of its harvest date, and that's not to be confused by the best buy date. So if you have access to the harvest date on the bottle, then looking for one that's close to when you're purchasing it. A one-year study found that the total phenols in extra virgin olive oil decreased 52% to 65% when it was stored in plastic bottles exposed to light, 43% to 65% in clear glass exposed to light, and 26% to 41% in plastic bottles kept in the darkness 
but only 10 to 15% in dark glasses kept in the dark. So what this says is that keep your oil in a cool, dark place, preferably in a glass bottle, and you're going to keep your oil in tip-top shape. Another thing to look for is the seal of approval that indicates that the oil meets certain standards. The California Olive Council is one of them, the North American Olive Oil Association, Extra Virgin Alliance, and the USDA Quality Monitoring Program. All of these certifications mean slightly different things, but typically they will tell you that that olive oil has been certified and has been third-party tested to ensure that it's a better value and quality. Avocado oil is one that has really blown up in popularity, and I believe that this is because it has a high smoke point, meaning a lot of people are using it at high temperatures to do things like you know, searing or getting that crisp burnt taste on food, and it's really blown up in the paleo community. A study by the researchers at the University of California, Davis, funded by an avocado oil supplier in Mexico, important to note that, found that uh, as much as 82% of 22 avocado oil samples bought locally or online in the U.S. either exhibited signs of being stale before the expiration date or apparently mixed with other oils like soybean oil. The three refined oils found to have the highest levels of peroxide, which is an indicator of being stale, came in clear rather than tinted bottles. So again, back to the point of the importance of having tinted bottles or dark colored bottles. Two samples of extra virgin and one sample of refined avocado oil were actually nearly 100% soybean oil. So this comes back to the point of a lot of the times we don't really know what we're getting in the product, and that's why Consumer Labs is awesome in this situation. Three other products seem to be adulterated with sunflower or safflower oils. Only two brands that they had samples of were pure non-oxidized, and that was Chosen Foods and Marianne's Avocado Oil. Those are both refined avocado oils that were made in Mexico. Again, the study was funded from an avocado oil supplier in Mexico, so important to keep that in mind. But it's not uncommon that a lot of these oils out there are going to be cut with different cheaper oils such as sunflower, safflower, and soybean. So if you're looking for a good avocado oil brand, which is great for cooking at high temperature, I would suggest using Chosen Foods and Marianne's avocado oil based on Consumer Lab reports. And then coconut oil. Boy, did coconut oil blow up this year. Put it on your body, put it in your hair, put scoops of it in your coffee. Coconut oil contains medium chain triglycerides, and these are a unique type of fat, and they can be directly transported to our liver and enter muscle cells quickly, which is not how fat is typically absorbed in the body. This makes them less likely to be deposited as fat and more readily available for energy. A lot of people report feeling very full after consuming coconut oil, and that could be due to their rapid absorption. Both virgin and refined can be used in food and cooking. This is really going to be a preference, 
As I mentioned earlier, there are some concerns with refined oils, but they are great for high heat cooking if you're looking for an oil that can withstand high heat. For higher concentrations of these medium chain triglycerides, make sure that the product is liquid. Otherwise, it's not really refined and that the list amounts, the listed amounts of total MCTs should be at least 85%. Now, from a digestive perspective, a lot of people don't actually tolerate some of the acids present or different components present in coconut oil, such as the lauric acid, the caprylic acid. And so choosing a refined oil might actually be easier on some people's digestive system. Now, while research shows, as I mentioned earlier, coconut oil is high in fat, it's high in saturated fat, and while research shows that coconut oil contains higher amounts of saturated fat and can increase total cholesterol, it also might raise your HDL, which is our good cholesterol, and improve your total cholesterol to HDL ratio, which is a good thing, which is a far better predictor of heart attacks than LDL alone. So would I recommend that you start using coconut oil for everything, putting it in your coffee and, you know, really increasing your intake of it? Not necessarily. I would say it could be beneficial for your health to use it when you're high heat cooking, to use it in certain recipes, but always keep in mind that we're striving for that balance. Now, the best coconut oils based on Consumer lab reports are, again, the Kirkland Signature, the Costco brand, organic virgin coconut oil. So that's going to be your cheapest, your biggest bang for your buck. And then the best refined one would be the Nature's Way Coconut Premium Oil. And then the best MCT oil, which is basically just the isolated triglycerides from the coconut oil, is going to be the Zenwise Health MCT Oil. And then we have canola oil. Canola oil typically gets a bad reputation. One drawback to canola oil is that it doesn't come from a natural plant. It is actually crossbred, and most canola oil is produced from genetically modified plants, also known as GMOs. And while this doesn't necessarily make them an unhealthy oil choice, Some GMOs are being sprayed with chemicals that can be harmful to people, such as glyphosate, including those people who are particularly sensitive to them. And there is concern that GMOs are not safe in the long term, but we don't have any studies available, and there's a lot of debate on this topic of whether they could be healthy or unhealthy. The important thing to be aware of is whether your foods contain GMO ingredients or not, and you can make your own choice with that knowledge. Countless research studies have shown that people who eat more vegetable oils, including canola oil, have lower cholesterol than people who eat a lot of saturated fat. And this is why the Mediterranean diet is so popular. It has a large focus on nuts and fresh products like fish and fruits and vegetables, Um, Researchers have reanalyzed data from older published studies and found the link between vegetable oil and heart health might not be as true as we may have thought it to be. They revealed that too much vegetable oil could actually increase the risk of heart disease. And I'm not surprised by this. I would say, of course, too much of anything can increase our risk of certain diseases or increase inflammation in the body. We're coming back to the point of balance. 
The issue with vegetable oils, especially in large amounts like canola oil, is that when they're heated, they tend to oxidize, and oxidized forms of oil can trigger inflammation, which is a known risk factor for making blood vessel plaques unstable and increasing our risk for heart attack and stroke. And when it comes to gut health and mental health, again, coming back to the point about inflammation, we don't want these oxidized oils to be a big part of our diet. And then vegetable oil. This name even just makes them sound so healthy. Many of us, myself included, grew up believing that vegetable oils were incredibly healthy and that if we consumed more of these, then we would improve the quality of our food. Vegetable oil is often a mix or a blend of different types of oils. It's more of a generic type that people will use in their everyday cooking, and it's typically pretty inexpensive, and it's got you know not much of a taste to it, which makes it great for different types of recipes and using it in baking. And like canola oil, it has a very neutral flavor. The problem with this type of generic oil is that you're less likely to know exactly what's in the oil. And that includes how the plants from which the oil was extracted were grown and how the oil was processed. And when you're eating out in a restaurant, chances are you're getting more of these types of vegetable oils that are a mix or a blend of these either genetically modified oils or just vegetable oils in general. Consumer labs did not test and certify any of the vegetable oils that I just mentioned, such as the canola oil. They were only looking at the olive oil and coconut oil and avocado oil. So my recommendation to my clients when they're looking for what types of oils to cook with, I'm recommending the brands that I know are have been tested and are good quality products, like the ones that I recommended in this episode. And then I'm also really encouraging them to consume things like avocados, grass-fed meats, grass-fed butter, nuts like walnuts, almonds, pecans, macadamia nuts, and then really stressing the importance of those fatty fish like sardines, wild salmon, mackerel, herring, those really rich marine omega-3 fatty acid sources. And when it comes to cooking, there are many ways to cook without using oils. So if you're overwhelmed by figuring out all the different smoke points and you want to get the benefits of the oils, I would suggest steaming, blanching, poaching, broiling. There's so many different ways that you can make food taste delicious without adding oil. You just have to get a little bit creative. There's ways that you can use chicken broth or vegetable broth. You can use things like coconut aminos. These are my current obsession. I use them to marinate on my chicken. And then you can use these fats after the meal by, after you cook the meal, by using them as a dressing or stirring them into sauteed spinach for extra flavor and to help absorb that, those fat-soluble nutrients. But there's so many different ways that you can get creative without having to heavily rely on the oil that you're using. So my biggest takeaways for the episode are, number one, fruits, vegetables, and whole grains have been shown to decrease the oxidative stress and lipid peroxidation. So yes, 
going out to eat all the time and eating lots of fried foods is not great for our health, but it's more important to think about what maybe you could be including into your diet versus what you should be taking away. So this balance between these antioxidants that we're getting from these fruits and these vegetables can balance out some of the pro-oxidants that you might be getting in the standard American diet. Number two is to avoid using olive oil and delicate oils at high heat. Buy them in small glass bottles when possible and use them pretty quickly so that they're not sitting on your shelf for, I would say, any longer than a few months. Number three is to mix up your fats. As I've said before, read the ingredients in the foods you are consuming. Check your granola, your microwavable rice, your chips, your crackers, your cereal, you will almost always find vegetable oil in those products. It's just important to be aware of how much you're consuming, not to say that these are bad for our health. When possible, choose an oil that's closest to the harvest date or the production time to ensure maximum freshness. The best before date is not always a reliable indicator of quality. And then I didn't mention this in the episode, but if you eat nuts or seeds, buy them raw and unroasted and then roast them yourselves because roasted nuts also undergo oxidation when they're roasted in toxic oils or when they're roasted at high heat and then kept on the shelf or in the production area for too long periods of time. So I personally buy all of my nuts raw and I will keep them in the refrigerator if I know that I'm not going to use them within the next month or so because this is going to help increase their shelf life and increase the benefits that I'm getting when I eat them. And lastly, always stressing increasing your omega-3 fats. We know how beneficial these are for health and getting too much of these omega-6s and not enough of these omega-3s can increase your risk for things like heart disease, diabetes, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, arthritis, asthma, cancer, autoimmune disease, and they can wreak havoc on your hormone balance. Now, when I work one-on-one with my clients, we're doing things like meal planning and putting together meal templates so that they can understand how to optimally balance these omega-3s and these omega-6s in their diet. If you are interested in working one-on-one with me to optimize your gut health and receive highly personalized nutrition coaching, go to my website, nutritionrewired.com, where you can also purchase my book, Rewire Your Gut, which is a gut healing guide. It's a great place to start if you're not quite ready to invest in my coaching services And it's honestly a great resource for anyone who's just looking for gut healthy recipes that are, can improve your digestion. It can improve your hormone balance and just get more fiber and nutrition into your diet. There's also a sample meal plan in there, as well as evidence-based information on how to improve your health today. So thanks so much for tuning in as always. I hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to share the health.